And in this episode, we'll be having a conversation with special guest Joshua Johnson, co-founder of My Pale Circle and VP of Space Continuum. Welcome, Joshua. Hey, Oscar. Hey, SJ. Thanks for having me. Tell us a bit about yourself. How did you first get started as an entrepreneur? Uh, that's a loaded question. So I actually started as an entrepreneur when I was like probably about seven and eight years old. Started cutting grass because my parents wouldn't buy me anything, <laughs> then shoveling snow. I just saw the opportunity because we had a lot of elderly people in the neighborhood, so I used to go around, things like that. And I really got into entrepreneurship when I started going to school. I started seeing people had needs for like pencils. They used to be hungry in like seven period. So there used to be like a corner store um, with like a bunch of um, candy and chips like that. So I used to take my money, go buy a bunch of stuff, bring it to school and like sell to the kids like in seven, eight period when they're hungry and things like that. And in the high school, it got worse. Started selling bootleg DVDs, um, CDs, that type of stuff. And I learned the power of persuasion and negotiation. So I used to go to Burger King, buy me breakfast, become the first class late. So I knew I would get in trouble, but if I knew I brought a coffee for my math teacher in first class, she'll let me come late. So then I kind of understood when we bring something, it should kind of let me ease into class late. So that's how I kind of got started to entrepreneurship. My grandfather was an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurship kind of runs in our family blood, things like that. So that's how I got started. Whether it's a startup, previously owned business, independent operation, or a franchise, you have almost endless options when it comes to starting a business. How did you select what type of business you wanted to get into? Well, the interior design business, Space Continuum, I actually started working in a warehouse of my father's own business that he worked for. It was actually ran by a minority owned named Cynthia Johnson. And so I used to work in the warehouse in the summertime and then pretty much during the school season when I had sports. You know, you had the work program where you get like a six period. I used to go to the warehouse, work for two hours, come back and you know, say, do practice on my games. So I kind of learned the industry from the interior design business from that standpoint. Furniture wasn't that sexy. So when I got to college, I played baseball, but I also threw parties. So I figured out a way how to make money on campus and travel to other different campuses. And I dropped out because I made so much money. And I couldn't stand an accountant or being in classes, people trying to tell me how to make money. I'm kind of making more money than them, right? So I got into like marketing and then I got into the entertainment business, doing a lot of different things with different celebrities, doing their marketing. And then I got to tech. So I guess I could say like I'm a very opportunist person and I kind of see the trends in the market. And I'm always open to learning and kind of growing myself and never being scared to kind of like take a chance and learning different things, especially if you see a market kind of like expanding you know this opportunity is there and on top of that in the tech world it's not that many minorities in that world when they first started with the whole apps and coding and all that type of stuff so i created opportunity for myself and then from the interior design standpoint after i kind of like kind of slowed down the marketing entertainment my father wanted me to come back home and take over the business and run the interior design business so i said okay i'll come back home and do that Oh, awesome. So how did you secure financing for your business venture? <laughs> so definitely you have to push your own money up, money that you save. I guess from I'll speak from the major corporate side from our business and space and then small. I mean, but both small businesses. Let me kind of speak from a space standpoint. 
So space continue how we attain financial is pretty much just on our finances, our savings. But we're always looking for extra capital, talking to banks, which has been a huge issue. Banks do not loan out a lot of money, even though they claim they have all this different capital that they're giving to minorities and all this type of stuff. It's always hurdles that you have to constantly hop over, submitting your financials 20 times after they already seen it. You know, like a bunch of promises and lip service. And it kind of is very frustrating. Also, especially when you have good credit as well. You know, you've kind of been in business. So you've got to constantly push through. And it kind of takes it to a step point. You got to look for other opportunities, which we started going to the state and federal government, going after contracts like that. That kind of was able to kind of uh, help us gain more access to capital because we'll get these contracts and you have a lead time. Let's say you win a contract. We have a lead time of paying our manufacturer, you know what I'm saying, like 90 days or 60 days. So we're able to kind of like set some cash flow and things like that. The bigger the contract, more money comes in. So we kind of manage that um, profits and things like that. So let's talk a little bit more about contracts. Mm-hmm. How did you first figure out that there was money in, in government contract? One of your business was already previously owned, so mm-hmm. you took over. Mm-hmm. So was there a guidance regarding government contracts or mm-hmm. did you figure this all out on your own? Well, I have to definitely give credit to my father because he has been in the industry. Uh, when he was working with the other company, that was kind of like his role. He grew that company from two to like $12 million going at the state and federal contracts using the minority-owned participation certification. And so when I came on board, he really wanted me to get deep down into that whole opportunity and start really taking the company to the next level and searching for more contracts, federal and state, and kind of understanding the different certifications that you need to do business with the city, to do business nationwide, to do business with the Navy, the Army, because there was so much money out there. When you go to these portals, if you don't have the certifications, it's kind of like, what can I do, right? And then also the general contractors, which the GCs, they're looking for opportunities because they have to meet those um those mandate points and credits, you know. So if you don't have your stuff in order, they're just kind of passing you along, passing you along. So was this a minority contract that you got, or you got a small business contract, or what type of contract was? I know you also mentioned like the Navy and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Were you part of the Navy, or no, 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 what no. do you mean by Navy so, contracts? It depends on the requirements. So we have, we're certified minority owned. We also um, are DBA owned, disadvantage owned. And I believe we're small business um, certification owned as well. So it depends on the requirements of what they're asking for. Because we're 51% owned, let's say they need a minority part of it or DBA. Hey, we fit that requirement, we'll apply for that job. If we don't fit that requirement, we can't go for it. And usually sometimes if the GC wins the major contract, because we're in a database, we'll pop up and they'll reach out to us and say, hey, can we bring you onto this project? Can you handle it? We'll say, yes, we can do that. Is there something different that you would do now in regard to financing a new business venture? Uh, different from what I did before? Yes, yes. when you first started. <laughs> <laughs> like, were there any losses, things oh, that you course, have to learn, that you won't do no more, things that you missed out on? You know, business, you all, it's always a learning um, learning thing every day. Of course, there's no really um, rule book, or you have to kind of like surround yourself around people who kind of been successful and ask them questions and not be afraid. But really, you just have to like just roll with the punches. I think you have to um, know how to spend money. Mm-hmm. You have to know your contracts. You have to know the terms in and out of the contracts, know how to negotiate contracts. And then you have to know that, hey, even you have to have like um, 
some backup cash flow in case things do happen. You know, sometimes projects can go over budget and you still got to pay your guys to be on site or, you know, you might expect them to be on the site for a month and it's like two months, you know, you got to have that cash flow because sometimes they change orders and sometimes the people might be slow in paying you. So it's just all those different things, kind of like learning how to roll the punches and making sure that you're balanced. It's very frustrating, but once you kind of get a system in place and even if you got a system in place, you still got headaches. Like I got headaches even during the pandemic, you know what I'm saying? Like different things just constantly happen, especially if nobody predicted COVID to happen, but you gotta just like figure out a way how to make it work and make sure everybody's still kind of like flowing, things like that. Depending on the type of business, owners need to choose the right location for the business, whether it's completely online or in a particular neighborhood. Choosing the location is essential should women and other representative groups look into government assistance programs before deciding where to open up a new business? I think that's very important. I think market research is super huge when you're looking to open up your business. It's going to be a brick and mortar. Understand the market around the community. Understand the people who you're talking to and also what type of government census or tax credits that they're giving out to different businesses that open up in that community. Like this, as I continue to learn, I'm starting to learn there's so many opportunities like you can get buildings, all this type of stuff, you know, like, oh, I mean, credit lines, you know, for uh, open up different areas, but it's not put in your face. So people don't go for it. So you have to really just kind of like just spend hours going through people, going through the city of Chicago website, asking people information, going to different conferences, even going to some of those city council meetings and just spending two hours listening to them talk, go through a bunch of stuff. So you can just ask the right questions because there's opportunities out here. And I don't think that a lot of people are taking those advantages when the information's out there. I'm assuming that it will probably be in neighborhoods where business do not want to go into. Mm-hmm. And so I think this would probably be great for people who are trying to make their community better mm-hmm. to look into those opportunities mm-hmm. and funding to build in those communities because they already live there. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of people that may not want to take those opportunities because they don't want to go into a neighborhood because they feel it's not safe. 100%. Or that it's going to fail or something, right? Well, of course, you know, you have gentrification. So, I mean, everybody's being pushed out to the suburbs and people are taking over Inglewood, South Shore. There's a whole new South Shore plan. You got the Obama Foundation Library that's in the making of being built. So there's opportunities. You just have to be very aggressive in going after it. You can't accept no for an answer and you have to figure out the different ways to kind of make sure that yourself is successful and make sure you have the right business that fits into that market where it's going. Like I said, market research is huge. Go to University of Chicago, talk to people who do market research for business. Sometimes they'll give you information for free. Stuff is in the libraries. I know a lot of people don't go to the libraries, but it's there, you know, right? Um, And just reaching out to different people and organizations, you know, like you guys running bill, you putting this thing together. People who have more information about government contracts, what's going on in the city, different opportunities that you can get money in these buildings for free and build your business up. So in the early days of launching a business, there is an incredible amount of paperwork, licenses, and laws that owners face. Uh, Do politicians play a role in the bureaucracy that people face? 100%. (laughs) Uh, Politicians are uh, interesting people. Um, I think a lot of stuff became very um, dogma as far as like relationships and you know, I'll just be very speakly freely. You know, in our business, you have a lot of situations where GCs try to do pass-throughs. And I don't know if you guys know what that is, but I'll kind of explain it to the audience where 
you know, they'll look for a minority contract and they'll get you on board and they'll try to pay you less of what the contract is made for. Right. So let's say that they have to give you 30 percent of the contract. They'll try to give you 10 percent. So that can be a difference from four hundred thousand to ten thousand dollars. And they call it pastors. And that's been going on for years in Chicago. And the thing is, you will think to yourself, hey, why, why don't we cut down this type of corruption? You know, what I'm saying why are politicians speaking more about it? But it still constantly happens behind the scenes. And it's a very hard fight, especially if you're trying to fight against a company that has. 50 to 100 million dollars and you're a company that might have a revenue of 500 to a million dollars you know you're paying lawyers all that type of stuff trying to fight for certain things that you're fighting an elephant you know what I'm saying you're a small little guy so i think that politicians need to really like pay attention to that and stop playing the whole different sides of relationships making sure it benefits other people because they're cutting them checks i would like to see more politicians speak on that type of thing and also crack down on it to make sure that the fair person is actually getting what they deserve I agree a hundred percent. In California, mm-hmm. I think when they first started in some cities legalizing marijuana, mm-hmm. they needed minorities to for contracts and stuff like that, or to be able to open in certain zones. And I read some stories that like, I remember there was like they were giving some minorities like a thousand dollars a week. Basically, they were putting them on payroll mm-hmm. and acting like they were part of the company, but then the person has no say in the company. And if you really think about the revenue that marijuana brings in mm-hmm. in a year, it's in the middle. Mm-hmm. Just this, I mean, they legalized here in, in Illinois mm-hmm. this past year. The uh, marijuana, I think, the first uh, within the first three days, they made the highest record passing event. It's like ten million dollars, something like that. Yes, yeah. and then, and three million just in Chicago alone. Mm-hmm. And then I agree. They also said the politicians said that when they were first about to pass this, JD and everybody said that they were gonna get minorities to be owners because those were the ones that were put in jail the most mm-hmm. for uh, selling marijuana and yeah. all that type of stuff. And now not one single minority business is owned is doing marijuana. Now they're trying to open up more mm-hmm. and people are pushing back. But then we really have to get the legislators to understand like, no, like we cannot open up more until you address this issue because mm-hmm. pretty soon all the spots will be open and there will be no minorities in those stuff. So I, I appreciate, I, I agree with you that we need to put more pressure on the politicians. 100% because I know I have a lot of friends in politics and they're telling me that Illinois is going to be one of the biggest states as far as marijuana, you know, and I believe there was two minority companies that opened up in the minority uh, as far as distribution selling. But in reality, are they true owners of it? I think we really have to like pull back the layers. There's so much smoke and mirrors and just different things, you know what I'm saying? So like, I think that we really have to like just dig deep, make sure stuff is by the book. So it can really benefit the community and people can start hiring other people of the same race, people who are in poverty, people who've been going to jail for this stuff for years. And that can really start seeing change. But it should be no way you have all this money moving through the city of Chicago like that. And you still see certain areas look like the way it is, you know, and people still don't have no jobs. <laughs> so now you open yourself up to the black market which people still going to continue to do their business <laughs> and be very successful. You'll be like, oh, 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 I'm going to lock them up. But like, hey, you're not giving them the opportunity to do it the right way. Yeah. So, and they know the business. They've been doing it for years. There's nothing wrong with it. But you're not giving them the opportunity to do it the right way because you're continuing to shut them out. You kind of touched on, I think, what was called pastors. Mm-hmm. So, like, have you guys experienced that? And how Hell have you yeah. dealt with it? <laughs> like, what was the steps to kind of go around that? Yes, you want to depend on the politicians to do better, but mm-hmm. it's like, 
what happens if they don't? Like, what do you guys do to combat that? Not getting too deep into the stories, because uh, I don't think we'll probably business out there like that. But um, <laughs> it's, it was a headache. It was a long journey. Um, it really hurt our company in a lot of different ways. Fighting legally. It, it costs a lot of money. Fighting legally, going to business with people that you think are very uh, truthful and want to do things the right way and they kind of switch up on you real quick. And, you know, I think that by the grace of God, we just really had a strategic plan and just kind of woke up every day and just continue to try to fight it every day, you know, right? So now moving forward, because we learned those lessons, we just don't accept everything, right? We do our due diligence of who we're doing business with and making sure that we're constantly protected no matter what. And then we're also building relationships with the companies that we're doing business with, making sure we're in front of them, making sure they know us. And we kind of push back on the company like, hey, this was going on. You're about diversity and inclusion, Let's make sure it's done the proper way because your name is also attached to this as well. And, you know, and then, of course, I'm a rebel. I'm a, I'm a young guy. My father's more conservative than me. I don't mind putting you out in the press. You know, like, so, like, so I mean, but it's all about making sure everybody wins and there's no type of um, bad blood or people getting left out because we're all trying to survive here. We're all trying to take care of our families. There's no need to do all these different things just to kind of, like, make sure somebody else gets less than what, what you're doing. We need government and business to work together for the benefit of everyone. What should politicians do to help out business owners, especially small business, from women and underrepresented groups? Regulate these banks and make sure that they're actually giving loans and opportunities to these small businesses to get capital. You know, these banks have a lot of lip service <laughs> as far as like wanting capital. I know a good friend of mine has perfect credit, been in business for over a decade and just got denied, you know, why? Has revenue like crazy and trying to expand the business in a pandemic and getting denied, you know? We've been denied during this whole opportunity. There's no reason. And you're telling me that all this money is what these banks have, they're doing press releases, what's going on? Mm -hmm. And you know, and we hire a lot of people from felons, you know what I'm saying, to kind of get their foot in place, doing warehouse jobs or projects. We try to teach them how to install furniture and things like that. Where's the money at? Mm. If you're constantly giving press release on CNN, we're putting a billion dollars towards this, where's it at? And we're constantly getting denied. So I think politicians need to stop getting that lift service and actually do the work and regulate these banks and make sure the money's going to the right people, these small businesses in these communities. So, like, I don't know if you guys saw, so Killer Mike, he just started his yes. own online mm -hmm. banking service. So do you think, like, in order to get over those hurdles, should people look towards more Black-owned banks instead, instead of, you know, depending on the norm, like Chase Bank, Bank of America, et cetera, to look for these loans? You know, I don't want to I don't want to talk down Black-owned banks. I love Black-owned banks. But I think that, I love that Mike Killer Mike has started his own bank. I, I haven't looked too much deep into it or what that actually, what it is. I know it's an online bank, and I don't know what their programs are as far as giving out money. Um, we used to do business with Seaway Bank. That was one of our clients that we did. There was a wonderful bank in the neighborhood and people was constantly loyal to them because they constantly gave back to the community. They was helping out. They used us as contractors, right? So I think that we just need to keep our eyes on people who are actually doing what they're doing in the community. I remember Bill Winston had his bank, you know, before he sold it to another company. He built that huge mall, you know what I'm saying? And, um, what's that, Forest Park, I believe? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you know, we need to like just continue to support those people 
that's actually doing stuff in the community because he, if we had supported him, he wouldn't need to sell his bank. You know, he didn't have that many deposits, that many accounts in there. It could have continued to be black owned, right? And it could have expanded more to different locations. And he's constantly teaching business and all that type of stuff. But we're not supporting that issue, right? I believe there's um, one United Bank up in um, Boston. I believe that's black owned. So I've been paying attention to them. But I think we just need to constantly observe and then truly hold people accountable and see what they're doing. Big corporations employ various tax credits and deductions to reduce its federal tax bill. Some companies like Amazon can go for two years in paying zero in U.S. federal income tax. Do small businesses qualify for these government initiatives? Uh, no. So, you know, that's a huge problem with these large corporations getting all these different tax benefits and the small businesses are definitely hurting from that standpoint. And, you know, like that's from the government period, both parties. You know, again, stop the list service really mandated because a lot of stuff could have been done eight years ago. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We had to get to this certain point. So the Trump administration's 2017 Tax Cuts and Job Act helped to lower the statutory corporate tax rate due to these government types of policies help communities. Or is it corporate welfare for corporations that lobby legislators to create laws in their favor? Well, you know, people... Let's just use Amazon as an example, right? As you know, I know in my area, Amazon's popping up about everywhere. It's kind of like Walmart. It's a great thing because they're creating jobs, right? I mean, I'm not going to talk bad about Amazon because we do party with Amazon. But it's I think it's, it's a good thing because it is creating jobs. As far as I do believe they need to pay their fair share of tax. You know, even though there's still, it needs to be a balance in it. I agree with you on that because um, even when Amazon was trying to open their second headquarters, I believe in New York, they were trying to not pay any tax. There was basically like if we open our headquarters, they wanted it to have for a lot of years not paying no taxes, like an initiative. But then at the same time, if you dig more into the companies and how they're going to help out the community, you just mentioned that they are creating a lot of jobs. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they are investing a lot of money in machinery to do those type of jobs. So now they got like their test running trucks, so they won't need drivers no more. Mm -hmm. They're trying to test uh, in some cities, testing with drones, so yes. they won't need the actual person delivery. Mm -hmm. So then if you give them 10 years of tax-free, paying no federal income taxes, mm -hmm. that that's money that will help our communities. And then all of a sudden, 15 years from now, mm -hmm. they lay off all these people that are working for them. Right. What was the point of giving them that initiative? You know, like that mm -hmm. insensitive, you know? And I also believe that, because I know Amazon's been fighting to not be unionized as well so i think there needs to be a balance there needs to be education even with technology constantly advancing all this labor work like you said is going to be obsolete in the next five to ten years right so if it needs to be investments into the school where you're teaching kids coding like shout out to um, genius lab who hired me to because my tech background i actually taught coding at cps schools uh, last summer and the kids were so excited to create their own app, Android app. You know, they never knew they had opportunities to learn coding, kind of create their own stuff. So we need to continue. If you're going to like, you need to invest that money back and teach it the right way where the future is going. If you're not going to be paying so much taxes, I just don't want to see it constantly go in people's pockets instead of actually not giving to programs and the schools to make sure that they're actually constantly getting a leg up to prepare for the future because all this labor work like you said trust is going to be automated i know they actually approved the drone testing so i actually see drones flying in my neighborhood now you know what i'm saying so like 
that stuff and it's all automated. I actually reached out to him like, hey, is this going to be in-house or are you going to be looking for subcontractors? Because I would love to teach people and learn how to fly the drones. It's all in-house. Mm-hmm. And it's all automated. It's just a computer AI type of thing, right? So I'm like, okay, no job opportunity there. So what are we doing to kind of prepare these kids for the future? So I see you have a strong business development skills and manage over $15 million in the Obama Foundation, Rush, Rush Hospital, and UIC Projects. Can you tell us about what are these projects? How did you get involved in them? Mm-hmm. Sure. So these projects are very um, digital interior design, planning, space planning. They're opening up the Obama Foundation, opened up their new headquarters um, downtown um, by High Park. Rush Hospital been a client of ours for years. So selling healthcare um, furniture. So relationships and constantly staying in tune who's taking a new position and making sure that you have all your stuff up to date and you're presenting the best product. And in our business, we have to be tied to a manufacturer. So we're a no dealer. We're the only minority no dealer in the country. So, you know, that has a huge stamp on what we provide. It's like tier level one office furniture, like really expensive type stuff, but quality stuff. So a lot of people look for that and they're like, okay, you're a no dealer and you're a minority. We'll love to have you put this stuff in here. So it kind of makes you a little bit more competitive and just build that relationship up and make sure that you do the job right. And it's kind of like word of mouth. This industry is very small. Everybody knows each other. So it's just word of mouth, what you're doing. It kind of like just works. What's the Obama Foundation? Because I know there's the, the library that they're building mm-hmm. in by 63rd and South Shore Drive. And is that part of the Obama Foundation? Yes. So, you know, they opened up their new headquarters in Hyde Park. So I believe it's off uh, 53rd Street, right kind of a little cul-de-sac mm-hmm. area. So we did all the office furniture in there. I also saw basically the community putting pressure on politicians to ensure that they, when they build the uh, Obama library, that they won't get displaced mm-hmm. from the beautiful neighborhood there. Because yeah. right by the lakefront, and I know the library is going to be literally mm-hmm. in that area. And a lot of people in the community, uh, the black people were worried that the all the rents are going to skyrocket mm-hmm. and then they're going to get kicked out of the neighborhood they've been there for years. Which they should be. I mean, they should be worried about that. I believe they iron that stuff out as far as legally and things like that, kind of from my knowledge. But also there's opportunities, right? You have a lot of abandoned buildings there. You have a lot of storefronts that's, you know what I'm saying, you can probably structure up a lease deal that's really cheap right now and kind of prepare for that and get 10 people and invest in like a small pizza shop, right? Or like some sandwiches. I think what well, I heard when they first started this whole project, they was projecting a couple billion dollars to come through Chicago just based on the library and tourism. So all that traffic in there, you got to think like an entrepreneur, but you also got to work together. If you don't have all the financing, work together, put something on the table and build it out. You know what they say? Well, no, if you build it, they should come. <laughs> so like take that metaphor, build it out and they will come. But position yourself, do market research. Don't do a lot of complaining. Find a solution to the problem. Because sometimes you can't beat that problem. That problem is way too big. So find a solution to be to that problem and make your little way into that little category. I think that's amazing what you just said. Just the, the reason is because the whole time I've been looking into this because I love that area. And I was just like, I would hate to see it to just turn to be the, not the opposite of just to be identical mm-hmm. to the north side, you know, like, you know, uh, that's what I like about Chicago, too. You know, that everybody has like their like is real rich in history mm-hmm. in a lot of different neighborhoods. Yeah, you got Stony Island, South Shore, you coming down 55th. You know, yes. all that traffic, is expressway coming, they're not, they're not going to be coming from one area, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, people come from all types of area, 
create a business plan, do some market research. There's opportunities. You just have to make a way for yourself. Stop complaining. Stop trying to... Sometimes the government is not going to help you out. Mm-hmm. So you're the first one that I hear that I heard like about saying that. Like, you know what? Like, get five, ten people together and, you know, like, there's going to be a lot of good business coming in here. Oh, yeah. I'm sure maybe other groups are already talking about it that are in business. Mm-hmm. But, like, I, the whole thing I've been hearing was, like, Oh, people are worried they're going to get kicked out of the neighborhood. And the problem was like, well, we'll do affordable housing. Nobody has really been saying like, oh, let's open up some of the educational programs. Let's build them to create a business. Mm-hmm. I think the issue is because people have been oppressed for so long. It's a trust issue. It's also education. And a lot of people want to be the alpha person in the group. You know, they want to be the name recognition, accolation, all that type of stuff, right? So I think you have to constantly just train people and help them go through a process. Maybe they can be a group that helps people come together and make sure that everybody's balanced out and it's all equal and maybe, okay, take this type of money, invest it every month into this type of thing because people just sometimes can't do it by themselves. There's going to be too much bickering without the money. It's crazy. So as long as if you don't have that mentality, I think sometimes they probably need some people to come in and kind of help them people move that way. So, how do these projects benefit the communities? Our projects? Yes. Well, we definitely hire people um, who don't have experience or maybe, you know what I'm saying, can just work a job for a month or two, depending on the project. We pay them good well. and But they also get the experience, right? So, installing furniture or just kind of like handling different types of furniture and projects, they open up their eyes, okay, maybe I might start a moving company or I might kind of go after this contract, right? And a lot of times what I do with people, because I know, hey, they might have like a bad track record, I just build a friendship with them. You know, I kind of build accountability. You know, this is your opportunity. Don't mess it up. Guys, they don't F it up. And mm-hmm. I'm going to give you the opportunity and teach you. So we have conversations with people, kind of educate them, like ask questions, you know what I'm saying, things like that. Here's opportunity. You might not be working with us for like another three months, but do some research in this area, there's other opportunities here. So I believe when we hire people, it benefits the community because we do have people like, hey, here's my friend, can he come work? (laughs) We're both very grateful, like, hey, come on, bring them on, you know. Do you think that the black community is well represented when it comes to getting government contracts and grants? I read a story when it comes to government grants and there's when they say, oh, this is for women and minorities, mm-hmm. that usually almost every minority group was getting it except for black males. So my question was, do you think that the black community is well represented when it comes to getting government contracts and grants for their small business? I haven't looked too deep into that. I know I read articles about that, but I do know a lot of people don't have their stuff together. So, you know, like, you know, people don't do their taxes, people don't have their paperwork together. So I think it's like based on people's, um, they, I think it's based on the person who it is. I don't know their actual situation. I think generally I can see that happening, but also I do know people don't have their stuff together. Because if you have your stuff together, it does give you more advantage of getting this stuff. Now you have your stuff together and you still don't get it, then it's an issue. It's an issue. I think we need to tackle that, have that conversation. But you can't complain if you ain't got your stuff together or you're trying to put your stuff together last minute. I know this whole PPP stuff, you know, a lot of people have their stuff together. They ain't done their taxes in two or three years. And they trying to like, oh, let me do this and this. Bro, <laughs> like, take care of your business every year. Make sure all your paperwork's in line. Run your business like a real business and you'll be fine. And so basically, again, a lot of people need to be educated again and hopefully they learn from 
the PPs or the loans. Or stop being lazy. Yeah, stop being lazy. <laughs> and look, it's a, it's, it's, a lot, it's a lot of work to keep that paperwork in order. Running a business is, is not a hobby. You know, it's twenty four seven. It's you got to constantly wear multiple hats, and you have to be able to find the right people, like the right accountants who can handle your stuff, but also. Just don't let them handle your stuff. Ask them questions and learn what they're doing, right? To make sure all your stuff is in order. 2015, 2016, 2017, have it organized. You know what I'm saying? Stop being lazy of paperwork. I know it's like tedious. I hate doing it, but I still got to do it. Like, I got to review some stuff tonight. I got like 20 emails that came through like at 5 o'clock. I got to read all. I want to read all of them. I want to read at 12 o'clock at night before I go to bed. It's tedious work, but just do it. I guess my follow-up question is that like for you as yourself as an entrepreneur, did you ever underestimate how much work it was to start your own business? And do you feel like that's probably the reason why a lot of people don't have their paperwork together and mm. they don't have their things together? They just don't really understand the magnitude of what being an entrepreneur is. Yes, I, I truly believe. I can't put myself in because I'm crazy. So <laughs> I, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I'm an executive producing a documentary. I'm right. I wrote like four books this summer. Like I'm crazy when it comes to it, but it can be overwhelming. But I enjoy the overwhelmness. I enjoy reaching my goal. But I think for people, science for mentoring a couple of people, it is overwhelming when you don't know the information or don't know how to understand it. There's so many different like roadmaps to it and things like that information. So it can be overwhelming when it's just like falling all on top of you. And then on top of that, sometimes it's fear, right? Like. Oh, do I really want to take that chance? Do I want to invest that $2,500 into it? And then it's like the fear of loss, right? If I lose $2,500, I could have put it here. But still, you got to eliminate that fear. You just got to take the risk and be like, okay, if I learn from it, understand that you put it into the universe, it'll come back tenfold. I've always been a risk taker. Took trips to uh, Atlanta, LA, New York, slept on people's floors, had $5 in my pocket, met Mark Cuban, Timberland, you know what I'm saying? Ran through red lights to meet Timberland one time, you know what I'm saying? But it turned out to be the best experience. And when you hustle like that, take the risk, it's like the benefits come back. The universe kind of responds to you. So I think a lot of people just kind of like need to get over that fear and truly believe in their vision, their dream. Yes, it's going to be overwhelming, but eat an elephant one bite at a time. Take your time. It's never going to be completed in a week. Your goals might not hit until like three months later. You might have a deadline for a goal and it still might hit the, not hit the deadline. It's okay. Continue to push forward on that goal. You know, people get discouraged like, oh, I didn't hit that in two weeks. It's all good, bro. Like, keep pushing for it. It's going to hit. And when it hit, you're going to have that satisfaction. Like, dang, I actually got it done. Nice goal. It don't stop. Don't celebrate too early. Unless you got $100 million in your bank, you're on the beach and got a bunch of people running your stuff, but just keep pushing. Just curious, because you wear several hats. What's the topics of the books? Like I said, fiction. I'm business. glad you asked, buddy. <laughs> My book, I got Kanye Confidence. So I wrote that book about three years ago. Kanye, what say to get the title? I got Kanye Confidence. Okay, I got Kanye. So it's not about Kanye, it's about confidence. Mm-hmm. I believe confidence is the, the number one ingredient to being successful in anything. Because with confidence becomes the belief system, right? I'm a true spiritual person. I believe in God. And I believe that if you believe in Jesus Christ or God, things like a higher being, he's all about pushing, making sure you're the better you and believe in yourself that anything's possible through that spirit, right? 
So the confidence in that, you can push through anything. It's not arrogance, but it's confidence believing, hey, I'm going to have my business here. I'm going to achieve this goal, that type of stuff. So when I wrote the book, I chose different songs um, from his albums that I love, like Jesus Walks, Family Business. And I turned them into short stories that people can relate to. And I had like kind of like a little spiritual guy at the back kind of explain the story on the back. Now, my other books are more motivational books type things like that. I'm writing a novel. Those are kind of like just very motivational and like strategic ways of being a business person and different things to look out for. So the um, next question, is being young an advantage or a disadvantage when it comes to starting a business? It's an advantage. I believe because we see the world a different way. We're able to, if you're young and you're just like open to new ideas, you can kind of create something out of nothing. You know, you're not kind of stuck in the old times or old systems the way of doing. You're open to change and you're just like, give it, give it, give it to me. You know what I'm saying? So like sometimes like the older generation, it's very hard for them to even like understand technology, right? I'm like, yo, we don't need to meet. FaceTime me. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> just FaceTime me. You know what I'm saying? They're like, no. they like, you need to shake hands, like, oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? So, like, being young, I think that because information is all around us, you have your cell phones, you got social media, you can reach people so quickly through LinkedIn, Instagram. The perfect message can get you the best opportunity if you just structure it right. But I think sometimes the other generation don't understand that a little bit. So, yeah, being young definitely has an advantage. Is being a man an advantage or disadvantage when starting a business? It has advantages and disadvantages. It does. You know, I believe that women don't get their fair share of opportunity. But, you know, sometimes people can say, hey, women do get their fair share of opportunity. You have more women going to college than men now, right? And more women getting corporate jobs than men. So it just depends on the situation, things like that. I think we just need to just constantly have that conversation, not downplay each other and kind of talk down on each other opportunity because we're all going through it. We might be, it's depending on the situation, somebody might be going through it more than the other person, but we're all going through it, you know, that type of stuff. Yeah, I see that change too, because like, working with, uh, I work with a battle rap company, so with them, they also noticed the shift in trying to hire more women to run their shows and to come and battle rap for them instead. So even in the entertainment business overall, in the entertainment business overall, um, I think like what you said, trying to, instead of showing that it's like me versus you as a gender, really trying to find ways to collaborate with each other and grow in that way. Oh yeah, most definitely. The music industry is insane. Um, but it's a lot of women who are breaking through the music industry, getting those like high executive roles and just continue to network with them, but just find a way to collaborate. If you collaborate and build a team, that's what makes you successful. It's not really about the individual, it's about the team. So I couldn't do none of this if I didn't have a team, you know? And you gotta delegate and constantly learn leadership, like constantly listen to um, Tony Robbins. One of my favorite philosophers, Alan Watts. You know, constantly understanding yourself, how to be a better person and communicate and making sure that, because everybody's going through different emotions throughout the day. I know I can be sometimes crazy, but I kind of treat it like the 96 Bulls. I don't be Mike. We're going to get this ring. You know what I'm saying? Like, I understand what you're going through. If I got, I'm going to sit up to you like two o'clock. I might just be on a FaceTime with you while you work, but we're going to get this done, right? So I think collaboratively and just making sure the team is successful. Everybody knows that, hey, we're going to get a ring. At the end of the day, we all get rings. How can we get more politicians to encourage women in underrepresented groups to start a business? How can we get politicians to do that? Um, That's a 
kind of difficult question to answer. Well, I think we need policy. We need more entrepreneurs to be politicians. I think we need another perspective just from legislations. I think people need to understand how to run business, right? I know everybody say Donald Trump sucks, right? But he did make a way for himself. He has some type of strategic negotiation powers, even by saying some of the crazy stuff, he made a way for himself. Now, he is a white man, so we have to play that accountability, but I think we need more politicians as entrepreneurs to kind of step into the game and understand and work together with each other. So maybe politicians need to talk to entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs a little bit more, not just from the higher corporation standpoint, not from the ones who's on Forbes magazines, but actually talk to the small businesses that's in communities and making sure that, hey, they're staying in contact. This was going on in the community. We're on the foot in the ground. This was happening between us friends. This is what we need, that type of stuff to communicate that message. You are currently a voting committee member of the National Associations of the Investment of Colored People and from the Chicago Minority Supplier Development Council. What are these organizations and how do you get involved in them? The Chicago Minority Diversity Council is um, it's pretty much Chicago chapter of the huge national one. And they help minority businesses get certified and also pretty much continue to build their company and look for different government um, contracts and things like that. They've been around for years. They're super huge. They're super successful. I encourage anybody to sign up for that, become minority certified. And uh, other one, pretty much, I want to be a part of an organization that was constantly fighting for people's rights as far as like pushing forward and moving to the future, being progressive with that. So some city neighborhoods and towns across the USA do not have Chamber of Commerce organizations. You are a member of the Southland Black Chamber of Commerce and Industry. Why is it important for you to become a member? It's important to become a member because, as I'm starting to find out, I have a lot of influence, which is scary. So people watch me. So it's important that I continue to put myself in a position where I can be a voice for people who are scared to share their voice, right? and also use my wisdom and understanding on how to continue to give that knowledge to help people progress forward, you know what I'm saying, kind of create that ecosystem of businesses. So the Southland is a um, definitely a cool chamber that's very progressive in the South suburbs, which is needed. You know, you have Madison that looks like crazy, right? But you got that whole new casino coming out there. Where's the plan for it? opportunities, making sure that people are on the right track so we can continue to build our community up the right way. If we don't, we're going to have people come from other states and take over, and we don't want that. Have you ever, like, experienced backlash from joining, like, these different communities or going to certain events? So, like, I kind of mentioned Killer Mike earlier, mm -hmm. so he recently met with the governor of Georgia and took a photo, and, like, he got so much heat from it in regards to the black community about like why did you take a photo with him and then in his response he was saying well we need to seat at the table mm -hmm. type of situation so have you ever experienced that from oh, yeah. the, your own community in regards to like you know what are you doing how is this helping our people type of thing I took a photo with um, Rauner when he was governor and I got tons of backlash I don't care what people say I know my agenda and people who know me closely knows what I'm about and you need to have conversations. Even though you disagree on different viewpoints, it's still a conversation. That's business period. And if you can't understand that, then you're not going to be successful. You're not going to always like the people who you're in business with. But y'all can have respect and get the check. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So you're not going to always be their best friends. You're going to have arguments, but y'all have respect. We do quality work together. 
let's move forward, right? So you gotta take the emotions out of it. I think a lot of people don't know how to separate emotions from business. That's why they make so many comments. And then on top of that, you have to know the people are truly for you and they're trying to like actually achieve a good agenda and push them, push people forward. You know what I'm saying? So you can't just do it on one side of the party. You gotta work with both each other to have that conversation. So I don't care what people say. You know, I'm the same way, like get off doing it, go back to it. Like I'm building jobs, I hire more people than what you did, what have you done? Right? You're commenting on my stuff, but have you hired twenty people? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing? Are you creating stuff? You know, so are you creating job opportunities? Are you trying to receive? So if you're not doing all that, then you can't have that type of conversation. I don't really care what you say. These politicians, from senators to House representatives to aldermen, they be two years, four years mm-hmm. of terms. So you could not really cancel out a politician. That's four years of not being able to help grow your community. You know, like you said. You may be able to get by meeting with them. They may be able to get that contract. And then even though they may have some racist point of view, some of these politicians, but then if you get that contract, you could help out your community, mm-hmm. you know? And so no matter who's in office, you gotta we gotta move forward as a country and work with um either side of the politicians. You just can't be a Democrat, Republican, or uh independent type of movement. It's relationships, right? Like a lot of times, you know, like, I, I know, I understand that people live in their bubbles, right? People live in a bubble, so they might not understand your situation. But if you know how to communicate and find some type of, um, I want to say, y'all kind of like similarities, it could be sports. It opens up a conversation to everything. It could be wrestling. Like, oh, man, we both love Randy Savage, and all of a sudden you're having like three old fashions what to do and it's like oh I got this you know what I'm gonna take care of you you know what I'm saying and all that other stuff went out the window that could have blocked that relationship and now they're more open to understanding what you're going through because you find similarities into it now some people are not like that they're not like that the energy's bad push forward but you have to try I know some people don't want to even try and I'm like bruh <laughs> like you're not gonna go far because you can't continue to go with people that's constantly just like-minded with you. You got to talk to people that's objective with you so you can get their point of view. Even though you disagree, it's still a point of view. It might have some sense to it. Understand it. And just kind of find that like way we can work together, you know? Agree to disagree. That's all. Our purpose is to encourage women in underrepresented groups to become a community leader by either running for office or getting involved in grassroots activism. As a minority entrepreneur, what is your advice for future leaders? Future leaders, I think people are scared of politics, right? Because you have to be, even even on my journey of being going to the whole like um, politician role, right? And I've been thinking about this for a couple of years, and I reached out to people, say, hey, what do you think? Will you support me? They're like, oh, hell yeah, we'll go for you, you know, right? But I said, I don't want to change who I am, right? I am Joshua, a normal guy. I like to be me. I don't want to turn into this other person just to please people's eyes, Right? I can have a conversation with somebody who's homeless on the street for an hour and just talk about life. I don't want to change. Or I could be somewhere else in the hood and talk to somebody. I don't I want to be relatable, right? That's me. I don't ever want to change my thing. So people, I think, have this perception that you have to change to this certain way. Talk all this high-level verbiage like you're a lawyer and all this type of stuff. No, I, we want effective people to get things done. A, B, C, D. Can we get this done? All that other smoke and mirrors and lip service stuff, A, B, C, D, E. That's it. 
And that's how I like to run business. And that's how I feel our leaders need to run things, you know? Like, can we work on A together? Oh, we got friction here? All right, what about B? Are we good here? Let's get back to that. You know what I'm saying? And continue to have that conversation and stop trying to dress it up, you know? I think politics is just dressed up so much with BS. Shave it off. Like, let's get down to the nitty gritty, you know? You feel like politicians are playing this other character. And our goal here is basically for people to be genuine because we want them to basically stay true to their community Mm -hmm. and not destroy their community. You know, we want them to build their community. And so I feel sometimes people may, like minorities may feel like, oh, if I run for office, you know, there's a lot of dirty politics. They're going to probably say... You have a family member that's a gangbanger mm-hmm. or, you know, like they're going to try to oh, fight yeah. everything. But my thing is, no matter who your family members are, you yourself are yourself, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like you just have to, if Trump could get into office by saying grab them by the you know what and people still voted for him, then as long as you have a message and our, my point is, is to have a positive message and no matter what your family has done or friends that you hang out with, what you've done in the past yourself, mm-hmm. you can always better yourself and move forward. And running for office is basically the community that votes, you know? Mm-hmm. So you could definitely get into office, you know, with with being yourself, you know, Most definitely. to change your persona. My motto is we're all living controversies, right? Every last one of us. We all got somebody crazy in the family. We all did some messed up stuff one way or another. You know, we all made mistakes. We're human beings at the end of the day. So the issue is when you dress it up, you put people on these pedestals like they're so perfect. And then when they messed up, oh, my God, like, bro, <laughs> like, you didn't like this a person. He's going to mess up. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not trying to live my life that way. Like, if I mess up, I'm a human being. I'm going to acknowledge to my mistakes, and that's it. Like, how many times? You probably messed up today. Did you cut somebody off in the middle of the street? You know what I'm saying? Did you cut somebody out? Like, because your stuff is not put out in the public don't mean you didn't mess up. So I feel like we need to continue. To, we need to start creating that type of environment and making sure that we still hold people accountable. But they're human beings. Nobody is God. And I think we treat people like they're gods when they get into these positions. Like, no, bro. Like, they're human beings. They bleed. Like, what Biggie say? They bleed just like us. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's it, right? So, like, we need to continue to use that. So, I never want to conform to that. And I, I hear the people that's looking to endorse me, like, well, you know, you got to act this way. You got. I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, Bro, I'm still wearing my Cubs hat. I'm still my whites. I might be on the podium with a Cubs hat on. Hey, it's what it is. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I felt like wearing it. I'm not going to dress it up to make people feel like, oh, well, you know what? He's legit. No, bro. I'm legit by my execution. That's what I'm legit by. If I execute and get it done, that makes me legit. Well, if hopefully um, your um, Kanye Confidence book is a success. And if it's a success now... Uh, with the post that you just said about Biggie and stuff like that, you could have the follow up as well. Exactly, right? Exactly. All right. So, how can business owners build a better, more inclusive community? Business owners, we need to get back to the village, right? I knew growing up, I knew every last one of my neighbors. They knew me. We was, I mean, I couldn't, like, if I got in trouble, they'll tell my mother. 
I think the business community needs to be an ecosystem like that. We need to get back to sharing information with each other and making sure that we're all successful. That's the only way we're going to continue to build up our communities. Get away like that whole selfishness and just get back to sharing with each other and just building that love between each other. Now, if you have a competitor, you might be able to work with your competitor. You know what I'm saying? But there's enough money out here to do it, right? And then we need to show value. Our value our community a little bit better. Storefronts, all the looting that went down, it shouldn't have went down, right? But you also can't blame those people because they've been oppressed. So they see opportunity. Like when you're dangling diamonds in front of people on TV and all that stuff, they can go get it. But so, but we need to show more value into ourselves and our communities. And it starts with businesses as well. Know your neighbor, love thy neighbor. Let's share information. Hey, every time I get like a grant opportunity, I shoot that to all my friends. I don't keep it to myself. I know sometimes people are like, oh, I got this. I'm like, why are you sharing with me? Um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you know I'm in business. Like, it's like it don't cost nothing to post a business, right? That's what they say on Instagram. But you see, constantly posting quotes. How many times you share your friend's business? Right. How many times you can grab? How many times you just spend the actual dollar for your friend's business, right? And then other businesses, I have to give a shout out to somebody who I truly admire, Corey from Leaders. Um, definitely somebody who I learned to um, know more about. I'm doing a documentary on him, but how he continues to help out anybody, you know what I'm saying, and gives opportunities to new designers and do the collabs. He's like, you execute, I'm going to work with you, right? And he puts people in, like, in this position to win. Let's do it. He helped out so many people in the culture of Chicago. It's just crazy. It's going to be in a documentary, but he's put them in a position to win. If we had more people like him, we'll be so much better off as building up our communities and then give back. Understand who was the person who gave you that helping hand. What do you need, bro? I got you for loyalty. It's constantly building up kids. Stop being selfish because you made it up here and now you don't want to go bring these other kids up. Teach them. They're the new people. They're not going to take off. If you're creative and innovative, you shouldn't be afraid of somebody coming, you know what I'm saying, underneath you. Or let them be a part of your team and then hand it off to them. Pass the torch, and they can run your business or expand it, and you still get a cut. You know what I'm saying? Some of these major, like, long, long families still got ownerships in their companies, but they ain't running them. The goal is to get people make money for you. So, <laughs> find creative talent, stop being selfish. That's all it is. So, you touched up a little bit upon it, but let's get a little bit more in depth. Mm-hmm. So, with the killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, many businesses were looted and destroyed including businesses from women and underrepresented groups. How should politicians move forward in helping the affected businesses? After the looting? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess from, I mean, it's hard from that standpoint because that's so unpredictable, right? So I don't really think it's on the politicians to handle that because that incident is so unpredictable by people, right? You have people that's protesting rightfully and then you just have nonsense. We're going to take an opportunity to steal and do all that type of stuff, right? I think as a community, again, we need to hold people accountable in our communities. Now, as far as like people being processed, I know like this whole thing with Kim Fox being processed and all that type of stuff, I think she's doing a wonderful job. I definitely don't want somebody in there that's giving somebody 10 years for looting because you don't understand that person's mindset. Again, I said they've been oppressed. They don't have anything. You constantly dangle some diamond somebody. It's like a kid. The kid gonna reach for that diamond all the time. So you expect that. It's wrong, 
but that's what they're going to do. So how can we change his mindset where he won't be like, oh, that's my opportunity to go steal that diamond. He, he feels valuable and he feels like I have food. I can take care of my business. You know what I'm saying? So the politicians need to look, okay, we have this issue from the mindset. How are we going to still continue to pump money into education and the school systems and get them the tools they need so they can be educated but also have the opportunity to have jobs when they come out of school, you know? These kids don't have, really have anything. So I think politicians can focus on that more and then let the community handle the community, the leaders. I think the community should have their own councils. Like they got block parties, you should have your own council of leaders, you know what I'm saying? Things like that. So that's how it works. And so, so that's interesting that you say like politicians should focus more like on the, the educating with the school systems and all that type of stuff with the funding. But then it also plays out with with police brutality. Mm-hmm. If politicians actually pass laws that will hold police accountable, mm-hmm. then that could also help out business owners because um, if people are being charged right away for crimes that they commit and go to trial, you know, they may be innocent, you know, the police may be innocent out of it, but if they get charged and then they go through that trial, the looting will not start, you know, because right now the looting starts because mm-hmm. Protests start happening, and then it takes just one person to break one window, and then other people follow, you know? So I think there's other ways politicians could help out business owners is by basically passing laws. Besides, like you mentioned, in education, also with uh, how do people accountable to police. Yeah, exactly. I think you said a lot in that that we have to unpack, you know, from police brutality to all that stuff. You know, there's a lot of different layers. I think we need, like I said, we need different people. We need therapists, you know what I'm saying, to be politicians or the board or council to change the reconstruct the system, right? A lot of these police officers need therapy. They need to, you know what I'm saying, understand that those are not animals. Those are still human beings just like you, right? But sometimes because they've been in the environment so much, being cussed at so much like testosterone and, and all this anger, oh, you just a, a plain little animal. They shoot you like a dog in the streets, right? That's how they're looking at us. But if they actually go through some therapy, have some sympathy and love and understand that could be your son. That they have a better understanding, okay, let me not treat people like that. And it's the same thing for the community. The community needs therapy, right? So... If we have more people in that position to understand that, but also we already know the government's about um, the private prison system mm-hmm. and money. We got to change that. Why hasn't it been changed in so many years with both parties? You know what I'm saying? So like, y'all got your hands in it. When are we going to stop that? Do we need to like really burn down the system? <laughs> like, so how can we truly, I think we need to like really, kind of like, like I said, bite the elephant off, but we really need to really do it. Stop talking about it and do it. You know, like I've been through, I ain't gonna say, I, I've been through police, I've been through police brutality. I haven't been beat up or anything like that, but I definitely had guns pulled out on me since I was a kid. You know, I remember one, once my first situation with cops is I was riding my bike down Western Avenue in the suburbs, like Blue Island, going to basketball practice. And I, this guy came out of the store and I saw around him. He was like, get your black ass in the streets. You know what I'm saying? Get out the sidewalk. And Weston's a busy street. I'm like a teenager. Like 15. So I keep riding. He hops in his truck, drives down the street, and crossed me off in the middle of the intersection. I flipped over his car. He was an undercover detective, off-duty cop. Threw me in handcuffs and took me to jail. Mm-hmm. 
you know. But he injured me, had me in jail, called my parents. It was crazy because the chief police lived like three blocks down from me, right? So he knew us. So they had to write apology and all this type of stuff and things like that, you know. That was my first incident. And then I remember I was playing basketball with my boys. We was in um, Robbins, living in Robbins Rec Center. And I believe it was an incident somewhere in Robbins. We was leaving. 20 cops, like, blocked us off. Had us lined up. Had guns drawn out, dogs. Told us to get out the car on the floor. And they cocking their shotguns. I, it was a time where people had cell phones getting shot for cell phones. I tell them, like, hey, don't shoot. I got my cell phone in my head. It's a cell phone. Yell out the window, right? And those like type of scary situations and the trauma of that, it makes you look at them like, hey, y'all terrorists. We just living our lives and all oh, you got a 12-gauge shotgun on me. And just recently, <laughs> like last month, I was on 97 at Western waiting for a client. This cop drives past me twice. I'm looking at him. I'm on my cell phone watching on YouTube, a podcast. Drives past me twice. I'm waiting on my client. Ten minutes later, he pulls back around and my client pulls up. He asked me, say, hey, what you doing outside? I said, excuse me? I went on my client. Uh, and then she see my client, he's like, oh, uh, you with him? She said, yes. Well, uh, yeah, we can, can I check your ID? I'm like, for what? He said, please, man, can I just check your ID? So, because I've been through situations, I get on my ID. Get on my ID. Well, it's been, you, uh, you're suspicious for um, armed robbery and assault. I said, excuse me? I said, you drove past me twice. You know what I'm saying? He like, well, you know, just just cool, cool, bro. You know what I'm saying? We gotta we gotta just uh, make sure it's not you. I said, what is happening? It happened on the bus. I said, my car's right there, bro. I ain't building no CTA bus. You know what I'm saying? So we asked him what the description is. He like, it just fits you. It just fits you. What's the description of the person? It just fits you. Another cop comes out, jump out the car, throw me in handcuffs. Now even tell me, we gotta detain you. Why are you throwing handcuffs on me, bro? I've been cooperating you. I gave you my ID. You see, I live 40 minutes from here. You know what I'm saying? You have my clients telling you who driving luxury foreign cars to hit with me, which ain't out of place for construction. I ain't committing no stuff on no bus, right? I guess another cop comes up. They got the wits in the back. They let me go. But I was able to get a meeting with the mayor because I have relationships and try to explain to them the situation. Y'all just can't be going around throwing handcuffs on people. You know what I'm saying? It made you do handcuffs on me. It made me feel like a criminal. And I'm cooperating with you. I wasn't showing no aggression. I'm laughing with y'all. I told my friend to pull up the camera because I didn't know what y'all were going to do. Because you just do cuffs on me while telling me first. You know what I'm saying? I could have jerk, jerked back. Could have fought you back. That's my first reaction. But because I understand how y'all act, I know how to keep myself calm. Everybody's not like me. I'm trying to explain this to them in the meeting. They're like, well, we just had to do our job. No, you have to understand these are still human beings. Everybody is not your profile of being aggressive and all this type of stuff. And then we were trying to go through the whole process. They was, um, well, the person's supposed to have a hammer on them. Do I look like I just hit somebody in the head with a hammer? It's calm I'm talking to y'all. Do I look like somebody I just committed assault, hit somebody else with a hammer on a CTA bus and standing in one position? You drove past me twice. And as we started going through the body cams, we asked them, say, hey, well, show us the part where the dispatcher gave you the description of the person you're looking for. The dispatcher never gave a description my description. The cop gave my description to the dispatcher. He said, I saw a black male with a Cubs hat on about uh, on 97 Western. You think that might be him? Oh, yeah, go check that out. You, as a business owner and also somebody part of a community, do you feel like you could go to your politician and be like, hey, you know what I'm being 
harassed by police, can you do something about it? Because I know yesterday we had a talk with uh, Elderman mm -hmm. Alicia Maria uh, Reese from Berwyn from the Sixth Ward, and she said that when her residents went to her, she went and brought it to the council, and then they started looking at police records mm -hmm. to see basically um, if these were the cases and who they were stopping. Racial profile. Racial profile, yeah. basically. Mm -hmm. I think that certain politicians might have that heart if they're not too much in cahoot with the police district, mm -hmm. right? They're not too much buddy-buddy mm -hmm. and let things slide, you know what I'm saying? Things like that. So it's always a great area to fight for certain rights, especially when people kind of like try to oppress you because they're cops and you're trying to go against them, right? That's why sometimes you have to prosecute it so much in cahoots with them and just like, oh, I'm going to be your best buddy. And then sometimes cops don't want to work with the prosecutors. They make an issue for them. So, again, we need to get into the mindset of people and help them change their mindset a little bit. And that comes with therapy. You know what I'm saying? Mental health and we train that. Once you get programmed, it's a huge issue. And we got to break that program some type of way. But politicians, if they're doing that, then I applaud them. What's the next steps if we do look at police records? Is the chief police officer going to fire them? Because I know the process of getting a cop fired, as we've seen so many times, they get desk duty. Like, after you just shot somebody seven times in the back, oh, let's go to the desk. Uh, excuse me? Like, are you serious? Like, what? Bro, you just left a whole clip in somebody's back, my guy. Like, anytime on the street, that would have been murder. Like, why you go to desk duty? Are you serious? Like, so what's the next steps? Are y'all truly going to change the laws? Or are you just like, uh, whatever. They're doing their job. They got to be getting their pension. You know what I'm saying? All that type of stuff. So it's crazy. I agree because like instead of defunding the police, they like you said invest some money in different areas to help the police. You know, yeah. to because we need the police to help the community too. Because I grew up right here in Pilsen, and your business is right here in Pilsen. And just coming here, I was like, oh god, let's see if I have to worry about this gang. I have to worry about that gang. Mm -hmm. But at the same time. It's like, here growing up in Pilsen, I used to always get harassed by police. Uh -huh. So then it's like, so two groups, you know, like gang problems and then the police problems when it comes to minority neighborhoods, you yeah. know, or, or just basically poor neighborhoods in general, uh -huh. you know. So I like the idea that basically, you know, like the community needs therapy, police needs therapy, you know, like more education, you know, fund more schools, you know, like for politicians that do run into office for them to be doing this type of work. Yeah, their job is to protect and serve. You signed up for that. You know what I'm saying? You can't just treat that job like it's like everyday job going to Walmart. You know, like you signed up and took an oath and went through training. I think they like make an oath on the Bible to protect and serve people. So that means that you care more about people than yourself because you want to push yourself in harm's way to make sure people are good. You know, not cause harm. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I think they need to have a retraining program at Constantly Therapy. And if people are not passing the psyche evaluations, just like they do in the Army, they can't go out there in the field. Same thing. They be like, they'll, they'll tell you the minute, oh, you're not mentally healthy to be out there fighting uh, a rocket launcher or some other people. Bro, sit your butt down. We need to do the same thing with cops. The Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act, also known as the CARE Act, is a $2.2 trillion uh, economic stimulus bill passed by the 116th U.S. Congress and signed by law President Donald Trump on March 27, 2020, in response to the economic fallout of the COVID-19 pandemic in the United States. 
Do you think business need another economic bill to help businesses affected by the pandemic? If so, should it be similar to the stimulus bill or more focused bill prioritize helping small businesses? Yes, I do believe it needs to be focused, more prioritized, small businesses, 100%. Um, yes, it did help a little bit, but we know that this pandemic is going to go for another year. Everything is not still fully functional the way it is. People still have half capacity in their restaurants. Um, as you see, the unemployment rate is still going up. People are still filing for unemployment. So you need to give these businesses more um, cushion to continue to pay their employees and also keep their doors open. As you see, small businesses are constantly closing because the average small businesses might only have a month or two worth of savings. You know, so you need to continue to focus on them generally. Yes. How has the pandemic impacted your business? Have they adjusted to the new state and city policies due to COVID-19 regulations? Well, as far as private um, companies doing interior design because major corporations have their cutbacks and people are at home, I think they're trying to understand how can we get people back to work and make sure they're safe, safe, safe. Uh, of course, they don't want to spend money. So a lot of times what's been helpful for us is already contracts that was actually pretty much signed and done that's carried us this year, which was a huge blessing. And they still allow construction workers to go to work and do all these installs because they're outside or they're just following safety protocols. So we've been blessed not to kind of really lay nobody off and constantly continue to maintain what we're doing in the marketplace based on government contracts. I go to downtown and there's hardly nobody down there. You know, I saw the Blackstone, which could be, you know, like oh, the, the Blackstone Hotel that was just open maybe like 2010. Mm-hmm. It, it was all board up, subway board up. So these are companies that I'm assuming will like especially the Blackstone Hotel, like a fancy hotel that will buy furniture, you know, that could probably contact your company to mm-hmm. for furniture offices as well. So are you thinking about like changing it up to do furniture with safety in mind, like to follow the COVID-19 policies? Yeah, there's different bids coming out. Um, like CPS released a bid of doing safety protocols with different acrylic and glass and things like that. But of course, you got multiple companies bidding on that. We didn't, um, we didn't win that bid. But there's different opportunities. You just got to kind of keep your head out there and kind of search for opportunities. Construction has not stopped. So, you know, like uh, we definitely see a lot of different uh, construction still being built out with condominiums and all that type of things. And as far as like the corporate people, like corporate um, floor plans, they are starting to try to change their whole floor plan. So there's opportunities like that if the bid comes out. So that's the one that I can say construction has not stopped as far as like the work. So we're pretty okay right now. I'm constantly looking for other opportunities to kind of like pivot in case things do get worse. But I'm pretty uh, positive that we might have a solution as far as like COVID in the next year or so, which will be good. I don't think they they cannot allow this to go on for multiple years. It's going to be very devastating to the world and the country. And hopefully I need new leadership or old leadership. They finally realize they have to put some type of different things in place to make sure everybody's comfortable. Well, thank you so much, Joshua, for taking time out of your busy day to help to help our communities understand the role of minority business owner. We would like to close this episode with a final question. What advice will you give to women and underrepresented groups that are planning to run for office in regard to their relationship with small business owners? My advice would be, if you are passionate about your community, you are passionate about what you do, be a voice for people that don't, don't have a voice or are fearful to share their voice and step out on faith and go after to try to tackle that issue. 
continue to understand, learn, educate yourself with people that you may disagree with, and educate your people with people who agree with you, right? Constantly be a, a book, constantly be a sponge to absorb as much knowledge as possible, digest it, and make sure that you act appropriately and try to execute.